Today, I'm joined by David Ray. He's going to share a story about how he had a life-changing moment and how he's finding new purpose in his life. Thanks for being here. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's nice to be connected with you. We were talking about that. Frankie, which is a friend of both of ours. He's yep. a connector in he the community. Yeah, <laughs> and great guy. put us in touch. Yeah, he told me, uh, he's like, man, he's like, I, I did this podcast with Ronnie. You need to meet her. You need to talk to her. And so, yeah, made the connection, and which he does so well. Yes. You know, he really does. He does. So you were an integral part of the beginning of a group called F3. Yes. Um, fitness, faith, and fellowship. Yep. Men's organization. It is. That focuses heavily on those three components of life. Tell us about that and how that's been impactful to, to your life. Yeah. So it was, um, man, I, I'm, I'm guessing eight years ago. They came to, uh, they came to Somerville. I was, uh, I was actually at my dentist's office and I saw this flyer for this workout group, faith, fitness, and, uh, or fitness, faith, and fellowship. And, uh, I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. You know, I, I think I need something like that in my life. We all need to, to work out and, and the faith part, obviously, we could all use a little more of. And so uh, I grabbed this flyer off my dentist uh, little table when I was checking out and uh, showed up one morning. It was five o'clock in the morning. There was a hundred of us at Doty Park and uh, I hadn't worked out in a long time. You know, I've always been active, but I hadn't really worked out a lot. And, uh, I thought I was somewhat in shape. Uh, I learned I wasn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so we went through like an hour, what we call a boot camp of just working out, doing a bunch of stuff, you know, all outdoors. And, uh, yeah, from that morning on, I was hooked. It was, got uh, you into running. It got me into running. We big share time. that passion. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I never would have said I was a runner. Uh, I would always tell my wife, even still, I'm not a runner. And she's like, yes, you are. <laughs> you run a lot. So you are a runner. And, so yeah, it got me into running. It got me into doing rucking, which I'd never done before. So that's, you know, backpack, heavy weight, going out. And we would go out and do these, you know, 24-hour, 12-hour uh, workout things with these ex-Special Forces guys. And it's crazy stuff we would do all overnight. Um, and I just got hooked on it. And um, the fitness part was great for my life, obviously. But it was really the connection that I had with the people there that you that brings you back. You know, you get sure. fitness is great and you get that whole, um, you know, some people get a runner's high when they run. I, I still don't think I ever do, but I, I try. I'm looking for it. <laughs> um, well, a lady friend of mine, uh, Lisa, brought the equivalent uh, to yep. Somerville, FIA, Females in Action. And I was a yep. big part of that for many years. And uh, you're right. It is a sense of community. It brings like-minded people together and Absolutely. it's an outlet not only for the fitness, but for the fellowship aspect of it as well. And it's it's what those kind of group activities is what makes our community and just overall a community so special, the connectivity. It really does. And that was one of the big things, I think, with F3 that drew, us, drew me in was not just, again, like the faith aspect and the community aspect of, you know, when we were done with the workout, you end in this circle of trust and it's every man in there. And we're talking about our struggles and what we're doing as men and, and how we can be better for the community. And that's one of the things we say at the end of almost every workout is, you know, help us be better fathers, husbands, mentors, leaders in the community, and and then taking that into action in the community. So anytime there's been something, as you know, throughout the community, if there's, you know, we had the 100-year flood a couple mm -hmm. years ago, and F3 showed up big time, FIA showed up big time, um, those organizations show up big for the community not looking for anything other than where can we be to used. give service back absolutely where can we be helpful to you what can we do to do this we've been in 
I've been in a countless strangers' homes, tearing out sheetrock during that time and helping with that and other businesses and, and just anytime something's needed. You know, we've done food drives and uh, we did Ruck for Hunger for a while, which is where we basically collected a lot of food and, you know, did a three-mile ruck with all this food on our back and then took it to the uh, donation place. So, yeah, the, the community impact has always been just awesome. And just I don't even know the numbers anymore of men that have come through that have been impactful and, and some come in, some come out, you know, I kind of fell away a little bit and I'm back in it again. And, you know, the, we go through those stages of life, but sure. the impact I think we've had with men in the community, especially in Somerville. And I mean, F3 is an organization. Now it started mm-hmm. up in North Carolina. They don't advertise. They, no. there's, it's, it's word of mouth. It's it inviting a friend. And um, it's also a lot of the workouts are at 5 a.m., I never was a morning person, never a morning person until I started participating in FIA and, uh, it has made me into a morning person, but it makes me realize that I have to start my day with intent and purpose to be able to prioritize that, uh, that, that workout. And it makes me a better person throughout. But once the day starts and the kids need me and my phone starts ringing for work, it, it, it's all gone, you know, those, oh, those take priority, but first thing in the morning, it's about the, the workout and about, uh, the faith-based part of it too. Like, sure. you know, being able to really focus on those priorities it, right in the morning. Were you a morning right. person before? Not really. No. I mean, the thing that I loved about F3 was the fact that there's, there's nothing stopping you at 5am, mm-hmm. but you. Yeah, right. That's all it is. Right, it's all mindset. There's no email. There's nothing going on at 5 o'clock in the morning but you. And And there's an accountability part to that, you know, that you've got other people you know that are going to be counting on you. Yep. Um, I know that's where you met... Frankie, which a good friend of yours, oh, that's yeah. where I've met some deep friendships that I still run with these gals. Actually, tomorrow morning, I'm getting up at 8, 8, I'm sorry, we're get, we're running eight miles early Ooh. tomorrow. So, nice. but, um, because one of the gals has a goal to meet. And so yeah. the rest of the other two of us are like, well, let's help you. Let's help you get to that goal. Absolutely. And so it just gives us that time together, the friendship. Um, but Talking about busy, uh, you're a dad of four I am. kids. I am, absolutely. Um, you're tugged in different directions on a constant basis. How do you stay focused on just prioritizing your faith and your fitness and your family in the busyness of life? It's hard. You know, I have an insanely supportive wife. I'll start there because nothing happens in our house without her. She is absolutely nice. amazing. And, you know, we... We get we go back and forth with okay whose whose turn is it like you know getting up with the kids not getting up with the kids but we both kind of settled in this place of okay well you know my she knows my routine in the morning is I'm going to get up at five when she gets up at five our youngest kids are on the bus at six thirty which Dang. is just crazy early and um, so we have to start our days early but we have a balance in our house where I get up and I'll do my quiet time or in my workout time and all that as the kids are kind of getting on the bus and then kids are getting on the bus and then she kind of rolls into her quiet time as I start my work day. And then, um, it's, you know, the kids are off the bus and she's somewhere I, I I'm blessed that I work from home. So there's a lot of times where, you know, two 30, I need to be at the house while I'm still working to help get my five-year-old off the bus. Cause yeah. he can't get off the bus by himself. And so just balancing all of that. And then the, the soccer and our, our one of our daughters is in dance com- competitions. It's a busy stage of life. Right. Oh and gosh. it's nice that you've got a, a partnership oh, with your wife yes. to be able to uh, handle the day-to-day task. Oh, she she runs everything. I can't. People ah. ask me all the time. They're like, yeah, what are you doing this weekend? I'm like, I don't know. 
Uh, yeah, you, <laughs> you have to call <laughs> my wife. wife. And she is such a rock in our life. Nice. It's nice to have that. Um, it is. Back a few years ago, right after your fourth child was born, yep. a monumental moment happened literally overnight. Yep. Tell us about that. So my youngest son, two months old, he woke up. Um, he was a pretty regular eater, if you will, right? You know, every four hours he's eating, right? Which is, you know, not always great or not always, you know, the case with children. But with him, that's what it was. And um, he woke up about two hours before we, he should have. It was about one o'clock in the morning. My wife got him up. She brought him to bed to feed him. Instantly went to sleep. She's like, well, that's weird. Maybe he's not hungry. I mean, he was screaming his head off and then nothing. And so she put him, put him back in bed. She comes back to our room and she lays back in bed and she hears me just kind of making this exaggerated snore, which as most husbands and wives know, that snore when the kid's awake is <laughs> the fake snore, we call it. Um, but uh, so she kind of nudged me. It was like, hey, baby's asleep. You can stop faking. And I, I wasn't responding. And so... Um, she tried again and again and realized that I was completely unresponsive. Uh, she called 911. Uh, luckily, we have an EMT in our neighborhood. We had an EMT in our neighborhood. They were there in about eight minutes, uh, and they started to, to work on me. She went downstairs. She started making phone calls, um, called the pastor. pastor came over, and friends came over because she knew she may have to leave. Um, and they did. They worked on me um, for an insane amount of time um, and carried me out of the house with no heartbeat. I had nothing, um, and uh, loaded me in the ambulance, took me to the hospital all while working on me, um, and about five minutes out from the hospital, my heart started beating again, um, but the total time was about 47 minutes that I didn't have a heartbeat. Wow. Um, and so, yeah. And that stayed, tell us about the next seven days. So, yeah, so from there, um, you know, my wife got to the hospital and doctor's like, his heart's beating. She's super happy. And he's like, eh, calm down. Like, it's not good. You know, so when, when something happens like that, and I learned a lot of this, you know, they, they put you in a medically induced coma. So they put me in a coma for about four or five days. Uh, they put me on ice. They had to lower my body temperature and all that to mm -hmm. try to save any brain function. And the doctor was very open to my wife. And he was like, look, he's probably not going to come out of this. And if he does, like, there's zero chance he won't have brain damage. So you need to start thinking about long-term care and what that looks like and, you know, hospice care and all these kind of things that, you know, she is as excited, as happy she was that I was still alive. There was that other There was that element. chance, right? Yeah. A great and chance, for, according a, to the doctor. Huge chance. Like, and then you came out of the coma yeah. and... Like nothing ever happened. Like nothing ever happened. Yeah, they woke me up. There was a period of time where they were waking me up and I was in and out. And so that was tough because I was intubated and I didn't know what was going on. So I was like yanking at cords and they had to like come like calm me down and put me back to sleep. Like, no, not yet. Can't wake up yet. But mm -hmm. once I did wake up fully, um, they were able to, you know, take the intubation tube and everything out. Uh, they were like, you know, do you know where you are? And I'm like, no. <laughs> how many kids you have for what are their names what are their ages and all the stuff and i'm like why are y'all asking me this and they're like you died five days ago and you've been here ever since and i'm like wait what <laughs> so yeah but it was there was like nothing ever happened and uh, i had full cognitive cognitive ability and and all that it so was, you know there's a there's a saying that was said to me years ago and i love it so much that i actually have it printed and framed in my in my own home and it said and it, and it goes, I'm not lucky, I'm blessed. Yeah. And what happened to you is not lucky that you came out of it. It is a blessed life that you get to oh, live and absolutely. a very purpose-filled life, I would imagine. Yep. 
coming out from that circumstance, you and your wife and your children probably still question, why? Why did this happen to me? And then secondly, what's my purpose moving forward? You know, I mean, it came out of nowhere. Yeah. You're, we talked about fitness. You were working out. Everything seemingly healthy and normal, so Absolutely. to speak, if yeah. there's a normal <laughs> to a human life. But normal, you know, in good shape, running, sure. boom, you're yeah. out, dead for 47 minutes. And then you're brought back with no loss of memory as they suspect, or, you know, a brain function. So what is that purpose? What is your purpose today? So um, that's a funny, not funny, but that's that's an interesting point because that was something I struggled with for a long period of time coming out of that was because, you know, I, my, my test, you know, you know, I came out. I went to rehab. I was running at rehab. They told me it'd take two years. I was running three and a half miles, three months into rehab before I left. My cardiac nurse was crying all the time. She's like, you shouldn't, like, this doesn't happen. Like, and so I get a lot of that. And, um, and then I had my tests and none of my tests were good. Um, they came back and she was like, oh, your heart should be normal. They do an echo test. Your heart should be normal when you come out. And uh, it wasn't, it was still bad. And they said, well, give it three more months because the medicines haven't kicked in. We'll know for sure in three months. And three months later, it was still really bad. And uh, yeah, to the point of, you know, I did a lot of research and the prognosis wasn't good. And so I started to question that purpose a lot. Um, And I didn't understand why, you know, a lot of me was like, look, God, I was dead. Mm -hmm. You could have just left me alone. Why did you bring me back for me to understand that? And, And what I'll say is, a lot of people, when I talk about this, or when I would talk to them, they would be like, "Oh, God, God has a purpose for you. Or God's not done with you." And and I, I love that sentiment. I really, really do. And I fully believe that God has a plan for all of us out here. But when you're walking through that, it's tough because when we talk about purpose and understanding that, literally every day I wake up, I'm going, "All right, God, why am I here?" And every day I go to bed, I feel like a failure because I don't know what that purpose is. And I start, I spiraled for months and months, probably three months, the better part of three months, wrestling with this purpose of why I was here and what I needed to do. Um, and it was tough. I wasn't proud of it because a lot of people would come to me and be like, oh, you're such a miracle and all this. And you'd smile and you're like, yeah, but inside you're like, I'm not that guy you think I am. And so uh, it was a conversation that I had with a friend of mine that really kind of changed my perspective. And I was at a friend's house and we were uh, watching Clemson football game and I was getting ready to leave. And uh, she stopped me and was like, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? As I'm leaving, I'm like, yeah. And she starts opening up to me about how she's watched the story of me and, and my wife's strength and my strength and and the recovery and all these things. And she's kind of sat on the sidelines. We've never shared anything like this. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of opening up to me. She's crying. I'm crying. I'm in a crowd of, people, of my friends. And I'm like, this is crazy. And she just tells me how this story has impacted her life. And it's changed her perspective. It's changed conversations in her house, conversations about her faith, about where they are in their house, what they want for their kids. They saw how our kids were and, and all these different things. And I was floored by the conversation. And as I'm walking home that night with our, in our neighborhood at the time, there was an alley. And so I'm walking down the alley because we have driveways in the back of our houses. And I kind of get to my, in my yard and I literally fall down because I'm just struck with this wave of all these memories of so many people that have come to me. Think Stories that happened that I just kind of overlooked 
when mm-hmm. that happened, mm-hmm. but I was reminded instantly of, and I, I don't, we don't have a not long enough podcast to tell you how many <laughs> stories I remembered, but some of them like, you know, uh, one of the guys in my neighborhood who, who would, he would self-identify as not a religious person at all, drove by my house the morning after, and there's 30 guys in my front yard praying at five o'clock in the morning. They're F3 guys. Mm-hmm. They came to the house and they're out there. This guy's like, he pulled his car over and he said, for the first time ever, I prayed. Wow. So you hear stories like that. And I'm reminded of that. And I'm just like, yeah, that happened. And I'm reminded of a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine who came to my house and knocked on the door one day and said, hey, can we take a walk? And I was like, yeah, sure. And uh, we walked and he starts opening up to me. Long before this ever happened, he said, you changed my life and you'll never know it, but I need to tell you. And so he goes into the story about how with F3, how I had come to him and I had first met him. I was at his house for a kid's birthday party or something. And he, I was telling him about F3 and he was like, yeah, whatever, man. And he's like, you kept on me and you kept on me. And he's like, you had no idea how much I needed that in my life. And so I finally just shut you up. I showed up at F3 <laughs> and as you know how it's it persistence. can be, right? Um, he said, and it 100% saved me because wow. I was in a dark place and you, and you, you never know that. And so literally in my yard that night at night, I'm just flooded with all of these stories that like I again it happened but I never really maybe mm-hmm. I compartmentalized mm-hmm. them but I never really processed what that meant yeah. and stories of you know people in grocery stores hey are you David are you the F3 guy I'm like yeah well I need to tell you how you impacted me right you know and that's huge that's huge yeah. there's so many ways that in hindsight right we look back on our circumstances and we wonder in the moment why is this happening to me yeah. And for you, it, you were at death's doorstep Absolutely. and you were able to come back and you're here to be able to have an impact on people, right? Yeah. Life throws us curveballs. For me, it was uh, a divorce. Sure. And, but through that, you know, it would never have been the path that I had chosen or wanted in life, yeah. but I've been able to minister minister to other women yeah. as they go through that challenge in life okay. as well. And so it's, you come through it and sometimes you look for opportunities yep. and sometimes they're just presented to you. Absolutely. And so we just have to be open-minded to share our story. And so thank you for being here today to share yours yeah. and hopefully give recognition to the hardships that we have in life, but also find your purpose, find your place and don't forget to give God the glory in the midst of it, right? A hundred percent. That's I kind mean, of the, the... Yeah, all the glory to God, always. I mean, and that and that's what I learned that night was that it doesn't matter. My prognosis at the time was I had about, I had a 50% chance of lasting five years. That's mm-hmm. what my number mm-hmm. said. And when you start thinking about I have a five-year-old kid, mm-hmm. things I'm not going to see after yeah. five years, or my 14-year-old daughter, what I'm not going to see, and, and, and then two kids in between there. And so... That's where you start spiraling on that. And what I realized that night was it doesn't matter if I had five years or five months or five days, but every day that I am here, make it count. There's an opportunity. Yeah. Right. There's an opportunity. That's a strong message. Because we're always, our story is being told whether we know it or not. Mm -hmm. Right. Your story with your divorce, it impacted somebody. You probably won't. I have the privilege of knowing it because of what happened to me was on a pretty large scale. And so people, they gravitate to that and they want to tell me how it impacted them. But I would say for the listeners out there, like your story matters and it's impacting people you will never know. Mm-hmm. So keep fighting that and keep doing that because 
as you continue to do that, maybe one day, you know, you'll get the chance to know, but even if you don't, right, you have to know that every day we wake up, we have an opportunity. You yes. know, I call it an obligation. There's a, a book that I read that, that talks about that, that helped me a lot through that struggle, but um, it's called Survivor's Obligation. And we all, we're all a survivor every day. You don't have to go through something traumatic, but every day we do have that obligation that we're here on earth and that we, the only thing we can leave is the impact we have on others. And so that's, that's what fundamentally shifted in my life. And that's where I understood that that's where my purpose came from or or is led to. David, do you feel a lot of pressure to find what your purpose is like right out of the gate coming out of this? Or are you open to allowing God to kind of reveal that to you over a course of, of years? So if you're asking me today, I would say, give it time. Um, if you asked me five years ago, I was not patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, that's part of the reason where I kind of went into, I don't say dark times, but when I went into some periods of a lot of doubt and anger uh, towards God, because I heard, I mean, it's a constant, God's got a plan for you. God's got a purpose. And again, you wake up and you go, all right, show me. And you go to bed going, right, you didn't show me. What's wrong with me, right? Yeah. You do that day in and day out, and it. I think it puts a lot of pressure on myself, but it also puts a lot of pressure on God. God's going to reveal in His time what He wants you to see, right? And I was not nearly patient enough, um, and I think that I had to walk through that journey mm-hmm. to arrive in my yard that night for God to say, look, these are everything. This is everything you went through. Um, incidentally, two weeks after that night in my yard, I had my next echo and my numbers jump through the roof and my prognosis is easily 20 30 years no problems great and it was it was in god's time but i think i had to walk through that but as far as when people reveal that i think all we can do is trust that it's going to be revealed that we have to keep doing what we do keep living for him keep living for a purpose of Mm -hmm. others yes and it'll be revealed beautiful and thank you for sharing that I understand that when you, you had, you've made comments that you were in a neighborhood and you have yeah. since moved out. So yeah. through all of this, after, after that, yeah. you sold in the community, moved out to a little more land, a little more, a little land, more elbow little room. Country, yep. And as part of that, you had your, I was told this, so I hope this is, is factual. Um, you had your family write scripture and, and testament to, uh, on, on the on the framing of the yeah. house before the drywall went up. Yep. So in working with buyers, I often look for a way to uh, make that house a home. How yeah. can you um, put love and memories into that space to make it your home? And you did that yeah. even before moving in. We did. Um, that was this was actually a tradition um, we started in the previous house that we had built. Was uh, my aunt and my mom had told me there was a book called Love in Every Room, and it was a book of scripture based on all the rooms in your house. And wow. so we took the opportunity, um, two homes ago, and then, or one home ago, and then this home as well, to go in. And the first time we did it, my wife and I went in, and we just wrote scripture where we wanted it, and that was kind of neat. This time it was probably more special because our kids are older, so our kids picked out their scriptures and they went in their rooms and they wrote their scriptures on studs in the walls. And in every room, they wrote things that that spoke to them and where they wanted them to go, you know. And even my five-year-old was, you know, wanting to say yeah. things. And I, of course, had to help him write it. Yeah. But uh, my wife does a really cool Instagram on our whole house and the build. And, and there's a 
reel in there of that whole thing that you can see. And there's a picture of, you know, my five-year-old with his pen and I'm helping him and there's writing scripture. And, um, it's a really neat thing to be able to do. Um, I, and I, I firmly believe that the scripture we had in our master bedroom that night helped. Yeah. I think we, what a beautiful tradition to have. I hope that will give, um, the others, you know, other viewers, listeners, the idea to do the same. Uh, it's really cool. It's a really neat, that is a beautiful way to bring just that feeling of comfort, but to make that, that house feel like a a home. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, And your forever home. Yep. Well, thank you for being here and sharing your story. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Yeah. I'm Ronnie Haskell, Badass SE Real Estate Chick. Interested in buying or selling in the South Carolina area? Let's talk. See you in two weeks.